Welcome to the Calvary Chapel South Bay Sermon Podcast. We are a large, multi-ethnic, multi-generational church in Los Angeles, California, and we'd love to have you visit us for a service if you're in the L.A. area. Visit ccsouthbay.org to learn more about us and to find out service times. If you have any questions, shoot us an email at hello at ccsouthbay.org. Enjoy today's sermon, and we hope to see you at church soon. Romans 15, Colossians 2, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we're so thankful for your word, and we're so thankful to be able to gather. Some of us are just coming from work. Uh, Put some McDonald's down our throat, and here we are ready to hunger for the word of God. So I'm just so thankful that um, there are so many people that have decided that the word of God is the most important thing to them on Thursday night. And so, Lord, I pray that the diet that is served tonight would be from your Holy Spirit. And there'd be some meat, there'd be some green beans, and I pray some chocolate cake. Thank you for your word. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm in a mood tonight. I don't know what happened. Um, Ben, it could be because you offered me brownies. I'm not too sure, but I'm so excited about them now. Um, Let's go into the word now. I'm back into the word. Paul made it very clear in Romans chapter 15, something that I pray you are getting the point. He made a decision that he would fully preach the gospel from Elecrium to Jerusalem. In other words, his life was about the gospel. Whether he was making tents or he was teaching a Bible study at night, whether he was in line at Target or in the grocery store, his life was was to be a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. In fact, we studied that last week. The minister of the gospel and the various characters and conduct of someone who says they're a minister. Paul would say in Philippians chapter 4, verse 15, in this regard, now you Philippians, or you those at Calvary Chapel South Bay, know also that in the beginning of the gospel, or in the first, in the priority of the gospel, my life's about the gospel when I departed from Macedonia. He was basically saying, my life is about the gospel. This word beginning, it's the rule of my life. It's the priority of my life. It's the authority of my life. Paul made his priority the gospel. But the gospel is more than salvation. Don't be surprised or shocked by that statement. Because Jesus not only said preach the gospel, he also said make disciples. And Paul gives us the goal of the gospel. And that's the title of our message tonight, the goal of the gospel. Not only our salvation, but our sanctification. Take a look at Romans chapter 15. I'm going to pick it up in verse 16, that I might be a minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles. We studied that last week. Ministering the gospel of God that the offering of the Gentiles might be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Everyone say sanctification. Sanctification. Don't get worried by that big theological term. What I want to do is break it down, and I'm going to read you Romans 15, 16 in the New Living Translation. Take a look at the screen. You'll see it up there. I'm a special messenger from Christ Jesus to you Gentiles. 
I bring you the good news so that I might present you as an acceptable offering to God. In other words, I've done what God has asked me to do, made holy by the Holy Spirit. If you're worried about this term, sanctification, you just saw a two-word definition of it. Made holy. These two words give us great insight into what it means to be sanctified by the Spirit. Now, there is a position of sanctification, and there is a practice of sanctification. Did you catch that? There is a position of sanctification, and there is a practice. Now, when we get saved, we are made holy in our position because of Jesus. Because of the perfect life of Jesus, it's imputed or it's put on us. Paul says it like this. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Some of you will recognize these characteristics. Listen, 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't be deceived. Neither fornicators nor idolaters. Now, don't make your checklist out loud, but I wonder, do any of these qualify for who you were? Do not be deceived. Fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. Now, if you think our culture is bad in the 21st century, look what they were dealing with in the first century. And such were, past tense, some of you. But you were washed, past tense. But you were sanctified, past tense. But you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Someone say amen. Do you see that because of Jesus Christ, We were sanctified. We were made holy because of what Jesus Christ did for us. We've been made clean. In fact, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, Paul says says, we were saved by the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. We were saved. We were made right before God. Maybe you've heard the term justification. Just as if I'd never sinned is a way that I've heard someone say it before. We've been given the perfection and the righteousness of Jesus Christ. It's been clothed upon us. However, we are also being made holy in practice each and every day by the Spirit. We have a position of holiness, but we also have a practice of being, ma- of, of, of being holy. Now, this is called the law of the Spirit. Now, we're going to get to that in a moment, but keep it in your mind. This is called the law of the Spirit, us being made holy. I'll explain that in just a moment. Paul calls this practice that we are being conformed into the image of Jesus. Take a look at Romans chapter 8, verse 29. The Bible says this. Romans 8, 29, for whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be, here's what we're becoming, conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. 
How many of you, raise your hand, are exactly the image of Jesus today? Go ahead and raise your hand. Like when your wife looks at you, Joe, she thinks you are Jesus. (laughs) You're that close. Amen. All right, great. How many of you would raise your hand and go, hey, listen, I am the replica of Jesus on earth. (laughs) Think about that for just a moment. What he's saying here is we are being conformed into the image of Jesus. That is a lifelong process because some of us have been walking with the Lord 30 and 40 years and we still did not raise our hands. Well, how does this happen? In Romans chapter 12, verse 2, it happens by what you're doing tonight, Thursday night. You're here. You're double dipping. You're studying the Word of God. And in Romans chapter 12, don't be conformed to this world. Don't be like the rest of the world. You've been made holy. He says, but be transformed by the coming to Thursday night Bible study. That's what it says. By the renewing of your mind. In other words, you're studying the word of God that you may prove. In other words, your life is going to show that God's will is good, acceptable, and perfect. What your life is going to show as you become more and more like Christ, that God's way is the right way. In fact, Paul would say in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. Now, there are three pictures of sanctification in the Bible. and The Bible gives us a wonderful photograph three different times of sanctification. Take a look at the first one. You'll recognize it there in the upper room. John chapter 13. John chapter 13, verse 10. Jesus said to him, he's speaking to Peter. Jesus has said, let me wash your feet. Peter says, no way. (laughs) I know who you are. Remember Matthew 16, I made the confession. You're the son of God. I'm not letting anyone know that the son of God washed my feet. You're not doing it. Jesus says, listen, if I don't wash your feet, you don't have a part of me. Give me a bath. Peter's like, just give me a bathe me. Just, no, 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 you don't understand. I'm about to give a picture of sanctification. Take a look at the picture in John 13, 10. Jesus says to him, he who is bathed, he who is saved, needs only to wash his feet, sanctification, but is completely clean, saved, already made holy, and you are clean, but then he speaks of Judas, but not all of you. How many of you wake up Monday morning? And you... (laughs) You know what? I asked a question. Thank you for answering. The entire question is, how many of you wake up Monday morning and you just wake up going, I am a Jesus freak. I am for Jesus, I'm with Jesus, and you look at your husband or you look at your wife and you're like, I just love you and I love Jesus and I'm going to follow him all the days of my life. Today is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in him. And then you get on the 405. (laughs) And the very first thing that comes in your mind is a curse word because someone just cut you off. (gasps) Christians don't even think those things, Chet. Yes, they do. Especially when someone cuts you off. 
You don't mean to think them. It's just a part of the flesh that was in you before you got saved, and you're even surprised that that came to your mind. Amen? Oh, now everyone's agreeing. You come back Monday night, and your day started with Jesus, freak. You come back with, not only did you think something in your mind you shouldn't have, you got mad at the person in the cubicle next to you, you kicked the cat on the way into the house, and you get in the house, and your husband looks at you and goes, welcome home. What? What happened to Jesus, freak? Jesus says, listen, you're clean. But sometimes when you go out into the world, your feet get dirty. And I know that. Because you're not perfect yet. So what I want you to do is come to me and I'll clean your feet. You're clean. You're saved. But you need to be sanctified. There's the first picture. The second picture is in John 15. Jesus is giving that great sermon on the, uh, there in the upper room. And in John 15, 1 and 2, I'm the true vine. Second picture. And my father is the vine dresser. Now, I don't know if you're a gardener, but I love to garden. And if you don't know Pastor Steph, he knows every plant in a garden. Like, he sends me pictures. I love that man. Um, I'm the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Okay, so he's got a picture of a gardener. Every branch in me, uh, you're saved. Every branch in me, you're saved. That does not bear fruit, he takes away. You need to be sanctified. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes. You even need to be sanctified in what you're good at, that it may bear more fruit. He says you're saved, but I'm going to take some branches away because you need to be sanctified. You're not perfected yet. As I get older, I love to garden. And someone, I was driving home with someone the other day, and they were talking about gardening, and they said, I'm going to give you the quote, I'm not saying it's true, but it hurt my feelings. They didn't know that I love to garden, and they said, old people love to garden. (laughs) And then they said this, it doesn't require a lot of energy. I'm the most energetic person I know. I was offended by that, but I do, I love to garden. And when I see a rose, I actually speak to it. I will walk by the rose, and it's coming out, and I'll go, well, good morning. Welcome to the world. I will talk to it. And then I will say, Lord, thank you for that flower. Now, some of you are like, really? You talk to flowers. Listen, they grow at my house. Are they growing at yours? All right? But when that rose is dead, and, all, and I wait for all the petals and everything to fall off, you know what I'll do? Clip. And as I'm coming closer with the clippers, the rose is going, no! No, it's not really. Uh, Me and the rose are not having conversation. I don't want anyone to call me that I need help, okay? But imagine the Lord as he's coming with his clipper. What do we do? No, don't touch it. Clip. It's bearing fruit, but I still need to sanctify you. Third picture. Third picture is marriage. (laughs) Marriage. I almost went, marriage. Remember the movie? It's Ephesians 5.25. Ephesians 5.25. The illustration is marriage. The picture is marriage. And he says this. Husband. (laughs) Okay. Husbands, love your wives 
just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify, cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. Third picture, that Christ has a goal to present us to God. We're the bride of Christ. And the groom is washing us with the word, sanctifying us, clipping and getting rid of all the things that should not be there so that he can present us to God. And let me tell you why, because there's a command. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 16, the Bible says this, Be holy, for I'm holy. That's a memory verse. It's a memory verse for every single time you're on the 405 and you think something you shouldn't. It's a memory verse for every time you're sitting next to that person in the cubicle and they do something one more time. It's a memory verse. It's a memory verse when you are on your way home and you've had a bad day for your spouse. Be holy from holy. And at that moment, when you think of that verse, Lord, my feet got dirty. Can you clean me? Lord, that branch needs to be cut off. I realize it. Lord, I know I'm bearing fruit here, but prune it if it's your desire. I know that you want to sanctify me. Because our sanctification is at the very heart of Jesus. Out of the abundance of the heart speaks the mouth. And Jesus, when he was praying for the church, in John 17, 17, out of his mouth came this. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. At the very heart of Jesus was that you are being sanctified. Sanctification is the prayer of Christ. Sanctification happens by learning the truth of Christ. Sanctify them by your truth. Sanctification is even possible because of the power of the Spirit of Christ. You're not on your own. Jesus knows your feet are going to get dirty. So not only does he give you the direction on how not to get your feet dirty, he provides the power so that you can stay clean. Take a look at Romans 8, 11. Bible goes on, but if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, that's a lot of power. If he does, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life, spiritual life, to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. That means that not only does God tell you how to live your life, he gives you the power to be able to do it. Sanctification is being made holy by the Spirit. Sanctification is being made holy by the Spirit. In other words, you're looking more and more like Jesus every single day. And what Paul does... He gives us practical counsel so that we can be sanctified each and every day. Turn with me to Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2, let me fill you in. 
Paul's written a church to Colossae and also the church very nearby, a church by the name of Laodicea. Paul wrote a letter to them to teach them about making Christ first. And the big spiritual word is preeminent, about making Christ first in your life. They were so busy about tourism at this particular, these particular places. They were so busy about making money, so busy about material things. Paul writes them a letter and says, listen, you've got to make Christ first in your life. And what that means is he's to guide how you think, he's to guide what you do, and he's to guide how you do it. That's the sanctification process. John, when he was writing his letter, 1 John, he says it like this. Speaking to Christians, 1 John chapter 3. Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we, Chet, I can't believe it, could be called a child of God. Therefore, the world don't know us. It didn't know him. How can you expect the world to know us when it didn't know him? They rejected Christ. They're going to reject you. Beloved, now we're children of God. So since we're children of God, and it's not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he's revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him. One day, we will perfectly reflect Christ when he looks at us in heaven. Until that day, John says, and everyone, here's the truth, everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself or is sanctified just as he is pure. Every day I am purposing to be more and more like Jesus. That is a truth of the word. So what Paul does, take a look, Colossians chapter 2, he gives us a working definition of sanctification. Colossians 2, now that we know we want to make Christ first, Colossians 2, verse 6. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, you're saved, so walk in him. You need to be sanctified. And now he tells us how. Rooted and built up in him and established in the faith as you've been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. Basically what he says is, rooted and built up, learn about Jesus and then live what you learn. Learn about Jesus and live what you learn. And there's two words that I want to highlight here. He says this. He says, rooted and built up and established in the faith as you've been taught. Here's the first word abounding in it. Abounding. This word means to excel, to exceed, to exceed in number and to exceed in measure. In other words, sanctification is not like osmosis where it just gradually happens over time. No, no, no. This is ambitious, not osmosis. It is eagerly purposing to be sanctified. If you learn something on Thursday night, then Thursday night before you go to bed, you are abounding. You are without measure. You are purposing to put it into practice. Now, I need us to think about something. Think of the person who's empowering us to be like Christ. His name's the Holy Spirit. Let's think about him for just a minute. When he hovered over the earth in Genesis 1, things happened. 
Think about that. When he sneezed, the Red Sea parted. Think about that. When he acted, Christ rose from the grave. There is nothing lackadaisical or lazy. There is nothing where, G, where the Holy Spirit procrastinates in his approach to anything that he does. And he's in you. So when you learn it, he's ambitious for you to live it. I want you to take a look at another word. This word's important. Abounding in it with thanksgiving. Now, this is important. Let me tell you why. If I had asked right now for everyone in this section to get up and move over to this section and for you to get up, and I'm not even asking you to move over there. Just move over here. And for you to get up and just move over here. Some of you are sweating just with me thinking, just thinking about it. Is he really going to do it? We know you're that kind of guy. Are you going to do I mean, like, we're really comfortable. This is our space. This is my little friends. I don't even think about sitting here. In fact, this pew's got my name on it. Don't move me. Don't move me. None of us like change. None of us like it. And we can't approach the process of sanctification with fear and dread. What if he asked me to go to Africa? What if he asked me to not marry the girl I'm in love with? What if he tells me that I have to change? And we approach sanctification with fear and dread. But do you realize that every time the Spirit of God convicts you to change, we should get excited because he's ambitious for us to look more like Christ. And the plan that he has to prove to us is good, it's perfect, and it's pleasing. So the way that we look at change in regards to sanctification needs to change, let the church say. But now he sends out a warning. Look at verse 8. Beware, lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. You see, the rest of this chapter, chapter 2 of Colossians, the rest of this chapter expresses the difference between sanctification and legalism. Let that settle for just a minute. (laughs) Sanctification is a personal, individualized discipleship plan that is directed by the Word of God to conform each of us into the image of Jesus. Let me say it again. Because this is the law of the Spirit. This is the way the Spirit works. We're not under law anymore. There aren't a system of rules like you are allowed to only be on social media for 30 minutes a day. And that's everybody's rule here in this church. You are not allowed to ever watch the news because it's all negative. That was the law. Imagine if I had to stand up here and say that to somebody. You can never watch golf again. People are leaving the church in, in droves at this point. That's the law. 
But the way that the spirit work is personal. It's individualized. Sanctification is a personal, individualized discipleship plan that's directed by the Word of God to conform each of us into the image of Jesus. It's the way the Spirit works, in the way of the Spirit's time, in the way of the Spirit's plan, and the way the Spirit wants to do it. For some, he might use failure. For some, he might use success. For some, he might use wealth. For some, he might use poverty. He's the Spirit. He will do as He wills. But it's definitely not a set of rules and regulations that the entire group has to follow. Take a look what Paul says in Colossians chapter 2. I'll prove it to you in verse 20. Therefore, if you died with Christ from the basic principles of the world, why is though living in the world do you subject yourself to regulations or rules? Verse 21 Don't touch, don't taste, don't handle. With all concerns, things which perish with the using, according to the commandments and doctrines of men. These things indeed have an appearance of wisdom in self-imposed religion, false humility, and neglect of the body, but are of no value against the indulgence of the flesh. Let me express it like this. A lady gets saved. Okay? lady gets saved. She had a promiscuous background. She comes into church, and her attire still reflects her previous behavior. Now, you've been saved for 50 years, and you're in a turtleneck. I will never forget, when my grandfather died, my mother bought my grandmother a new dress. Okay, I'm not going to tell you the denomination she was a part of, but it was a very fundamental denomination. It had cloth to here, to here, and you couldn't see her feet. My mom knew the kind of dress that she would wear. When my grandmother looked at it, she looked at my mother and she said this, Pam, in her Bahamian accent, Pam you want me to walk in that church and walk down the aisle and look like some kind of floozy hay? You, I mean, all she had to do was wear gloves and you wouldn't even see any flesh on her. But because it was flowing, she thought, (laughs) can't wear that dress. I've been safe for 50 years. Now this lady walks in. She's just been saved. You slap a rule on her. You're not dressed appropriately. Get out of church. We're Puritans here, and everyone's got to look the same. And you're wearing makeup. We don't wear makeup here. We don't wear jewelry. We don't wear makeup. We, don't, we, we dress like this. Well, what if you dress bad? Like, what if your dress doesn't look great? Now, this lady just got saved. But Jesus has the spirit of Jesus is convicting her slowly and surely the same way he did for you. But you, being saved for 30 to 40 years, are looking at her place of sanctification as compared to your place of sanctification, and all of a sudden, we begin to judge. Church. What we should do is teach the word about modesty And let the Spirit do His work.
We can't provide rules. Because how long should you be on social media? That's up to you and the Spirit. I don't know. Can you hold? Someone will come up to me. Well, we're in a relationship. Can we hold hands? I don't know. Can you? Everybody wants a rule on how I will be sanctified. But I don't know where you're at, but the Spirit does. A man walks in. He's been delivered from drugs. Just got saved. But he smells like cigarettes. (laughs) And you're a sin sniffer. You can smell cigarettes a mile away. We got a cigarette smoker in aisle five. Send the ushers. And we walk up because we don't believe in cigarette smoking. And while you're sitting there, we bring the air fresher and just spray all around you. Because we want you to smell like the Holy Spirit. We do it. And I am using foolish illustrations. But the truth of the matter is, your sanctification process might be in a different place than the person that's ahead or behind you. Why are you judging what the Spirit is doing in someone else's life? So, (laughs) I wanted to use another illustration, but I looked at Pastor Pat and I felt like the Spirit said, no, don't. So what Colossians 3 does, as to what Colossians 2 sets us up for, is Paul gives us guidelines of the Spirit's sanctification process for believers. So take a look at Colossians 3. We're going to pick it up in verse 1. If then you were raised with Christ, seek, maybe you'll circle that word, seek those things which are above where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Set, maybe you'll circle that word, on, set your mind on the things above, not on the things of the earth. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. If you're taking note, number one, one of the first guidelines I believe in regards to the sanctification of the Spirit, we need to seek the word and set our mind to do it. We need to seek the word and set our mind to do it. Let's talk about the first, seek. Seek. Do you remember hide-and-go-seek? Let's play hide-and-go-seek. In Montana, when we lived there, nine months out of the year it snowed. So we had to find a lot of creative things to do in our home. So we would play hide-and-seek in our home when we couldn't go outside. But being the person that I am, we would play hide-and-seek in the complete darkness. So we had stairs. You know where this is going. And my son, AJ, had a great spot. Now, let me tell you, when you play hide-and-seek, if you're it, don't you hate being it? You know, what was it? Eeny, meeny, miny, moe, catch a tiger by his toe. If he hollers, let him go. My moe, you're it. You know, it's like I, I, I hated being it. You know what else I hated? I hated when we played kickball and they didn't pick me to be on their team until the end. I was like the, okay, you can play, all right? So hide and seek, you don't do this. You don't go, 
One, two, three, four, five, six, however, 50, right? This is not how you play hide and seek. You get up and you go seek. You go find and you give it as diligently as you can because you don't want to be it anymore. You want to go find a hiding spot. You want someone to find you. Well, we were playing hide and seek in the house and my son had the greatest hiding spot. But I found him. And when I found him, he knew I was getting close, so he took off, and he ran down the stairs. Unfortunately for him, he tripped. (laughs) And he almost bit his lip off. We ended up in the hospital for the rest of the night. My wife never let us play hide-and-seek in the dark again. I told you this was not a good idea. She's crying as she's holding her son's hand. And AJ was looking at me going, she did tell you. Wait, you were on my side just a minute ago. To seek, to seek has the idea you've lost your diamond ring and you're doing everything you've got to find it. You will rip apart the sink. You will, throw, you will put your be- you will rip up the carpet and shake it if you have to. It takes commitment and devotion. It takes dedication until it's found. And for the believer, getting in the Word is not an obligation. It's an opportunity to find jewels for life. you got to seek. you got to seek. But not only seek. See, we seek the Word and set our mind to do it. You see, when you were born again, we were given a new mind. We were born again. We are given a new nature. Remember how you used to curse, but now it's like when you curse, it was like, ooh, that doesn't feel good. Do you remember how you used to do those things and now you just don't do them anymore? You were born again. The spirit, you were given a new nature. You were given a new spirit. In fact, the Bible says we were given the mind of Christ. Do you remember when Jonah and the whale was a dumb story, but now you believe it? Do you remember when, come on, really? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego went in a fire and they didn't even smell like smoke, but now you believe it? You were given the mind of Christ. Can I tell you something? There is a way that God thinks, and there's a way that we think. The Bible says that his way of thinking is higher than our own, and the reason for that is because we've been impacted by sin. So what set your mind means, you've got to put all of your focus and attention on training your mind to think the way that Christ does because naturally you don't. Naturally you don't. I'll give an example. To my shame. I'm at Vons. Do you know when you're in line and they call for a cashier to come up front because the line is forever long? And you're like this. You know, like you're just waiting. Cashier comes. Her light goes on. I take off. And I realize that someone behind me is trying to get ahead of me. (laughs) Not today. It's embarrassing that that's the first thing I thought of. And when I turned around, it's an 80-year-old woman. And you know what I thought? Oh, now I can really beat you. No, I didn't. Before you email me. The first thing that came to my mind was the Spirit. 
consider others better than yourself. Now I have a decision. What I've learned, will I put it into practice? But can I tell you this? I never would have thought of that on my own. Because my flesh took off, no matter who was trying to get in front of me, my flesh, on its own, without me even thinking, took off to be first in the line. But the Spirit said, what choice will you make? You've learned it in Scripture. Will you set your mind on thinking differently than the way that you think about this? Let me give you another example. We've got to have a mindset to think differently. It's like going on a diet. When you go on a diet, you've got to stop thinking about carbs and sugar. And you've got to start thinking about fruits and vegetables. You've got to have a different mindset. If you're still thinking of carbs and sugar, you're not actually on a diet. Because... Something will happen at 2 a.m. And you will think to yourself, I'm just going to taste the chocolate cake. And before you know, the whole cake is gone before 6 a.m. It's a personal story. (laughs) Number two. Number two. You got to put off the old man and put on the new. Put off the old man and put on the new. Take a look at Colossians chapter 3. We're going to pick it up in verse 5. Therefore, put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desires, covetousness, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience. In other words, the people that don't want to be sanctified, they're going to be punished. In which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. Past tense, you once walked. You're different now. But now you yourselves are to put off all these anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Don't lie to one another since you've put off the old man with his deeds. And have, look at verse 10, put on the new man who's renewed in knowledge. In other words, you're studying the word of God according to the image who created him. You're studying the word of God, you're learning about Jesus, and you're purposing to live it. Verse 11. Where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all and in all. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another, if anyone is a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so also You must do. Put off the old man and put on the new. Let's talk about putting off first. When we came to Christ, there are certain things that were on the naughty list. He mentions some of them. Fornication, uncleanness, passions, lusts. And all of a sudden, when we came to Christ, like we're just not comfortable doing the big ones. But he says, I get it. But you're still being sanctified. Look at verse 7, if you would. I realize you got rid of the big ones, but look at verse 7. He says this. But now, excuse me, verse 8. But now you yourselves are to put off all these, the little ones. Anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. You see... You once walked in fornication. I know you're not doing that anymore, but you still got an anger problem. 
I know you're not covetous anymore, but you're still lying. I know that you, you've gotten rid of uncleanness and evil desires, but you still got some filthy language that we need to clean up. Verse 8 expresses there were things that they still needed to change because sanctification takes a lifetime. And the Holy Spirit is a responsibility. The Holy Spirit is a responsibility to glorify Christ in you. That's what Jesus said. He will glorify me. And he's in you. That's why John would write the church, we'll go back to it, write Christians in 1 John 3.3. 3, he would say this, 1 John 3.3, 3, he would say, He who has been purified must also purify himself. That's why we read it. So look at John 3, 3, there at the bottom. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. So the truth of Scripture is we've got to put off things all throughout our life. But it's important that you see you're involved with the process. There was this huge men's conference years and years ago that doesn't exist anymore. Some of you might have went to it. it was, one of them was at the Anaheim Stadium. And they used to have this phrase, let go, let God. Let go, let God. It's bad theology. It's bad theology. Let go, let God. We are active participants in getting rid of the flesh. It's not all God's job. You've got a part to play. You've got a part to play. In Ephesians chapter 4, and stop blaming the devil for your bad behavior. The devil made me do it. No, you just have a bad attitude. (laughs) Ephesians chapter 4, verse 22. Take a look what Paul says. You put off concerning your former conduct. You do it. Do you understand what that means? You have a part to play. When the children of Israel would bring the grain offering, God would provide the grain, but they had to present the offering. It was their responsibility. Now, let's say God comes to you, and he says, hey, I want you to dress a little more modestly. Pastor preached on it there in 1 Timothy, so I, I, you need to start preaching. And he starts convicting you, and he starts saying to you, or, listen, I know you say cigarette smoking, it doesn't control you, so stop. And maybe you'll determine whether or not it does control you because the Spirit is a spirit of self-control. So I don't want you to be under control of anything. I want you to control everything by my Spirit. Let's say the Spirit starts ministry. No, you say to the Lord. First of all, bad idea to ever say no to the Lord. But let's say that you do. Hey, you know sister so-and-so that hurt your feelings? Can you forgive her now? I've given you a year to be resentful. I'm done with it. You need to be forgiving. She really hurt me. No, I'm not ready. But I am, so forgive her. God's a great dad. And in Hebrews chapter 12, he says, he disciplines the son that he loves. And then later in verse 10, he says this. Your fathers on earth, they indeed disciplined you for a few days. They chastened us to seem best to them. But God 
for our profit that we may be partakers of holiness. If you make a decision, I'm not going to put it off. Prepare for a spiritual spanking. Somebody say, ouch. Anyone ever been spanked before? Because some of you said a little bit louder than other people. Put off. But we also put on. Paul says, listen, it's not simply about getting rid of sin. It's about replacing it with Christ-likeness. Do you realize we're being given the opportunity to learn the way of Christ and live in a way that honors God? And while the Spirit of God convicts us to put things off, He empowers us to put things on. So if you're lying, you can tell the truth. If you're unforgiving, you can be forgiving. If you're stealing, you can be a giver. The Spirit of God convicts us, get rid of this thing, so that He can give us, empower us. We're not left alone in the process. But it requires your effort. And one of the greatest efforts that he says in Colossians chapter 3, verse 14, take a look at what he says to put on. But above all, but above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. Hey, church, you'll know that you're becoming more Christ-like if you're becoming more loving. If you're mean, you need to grow. You may know John 3, 16, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, and all of 1 Chronicles, but if you're mean, you don't know a thing. It profits you nothing. Because the greatest reflection of the image of Christ that we're being conformed to is love. But Paul knows the tendency we have when we start growing in knowledge to become a little more legalistic. Well, I quit smoking, and you better quit right now. It took you 30 years to quit. I'm trying my hardest. But something happens to us when when we change, everybody else needs to change. Legalism was dealt with in chapter 2. And let me tell you something about legalism. It's a trap. When you put your rules on everybody else, I guarantee you will fall first. And it's hurtful for you. But we live by the law of the Spirit, a personal, individualized discipleship plan. It is directed by the Word of God to be conformed into the image of Jesus. He will sanctify you His way, His plan, His time for your life. Now, there's a huge benefit to this putting on. Huge benefit. It's 2 Timothy chapter 2. Take a look. You'll see it on the screen. Chapter 2, verse 20. Huge benefit. 2 Timothy, chapter 2. I believe it's going to be. There it is. But in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood, clay, uh, wood and clay, some for honor and some for dishonor. I love spring cleaning. You know why? All the dishonorable things get thrown out of my house. Then he says that, oh, oh go back. Don't take it away from me. Here we go. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he'll be a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. 
my wife and I were given, I don't know if, um, if you've ever heard this before, a yadro. It's a little figurine. And we were given to it, given it on our wedding. It's the most ridiculous looking thing. It's a woman with a goose. I mean, but it's a yadro. And yadro has like value, okay? When I'm doing my cleansing, I don't throw that away. Because for some reason, when people come and they see that yadro, oh, that is beautiful. It has value. And I'm like, it's a duck and a woman. Like, <laughs> and she's like, this. But we don't throw it away. Now, let me tell you what I do throw away. Stuff in my junk drawer. And you know what it does? It cleans out the junk drawer for new junk to go in it for the next year. <laughs> How many of you got a junk drawer? Raise your hand. Go clean it. Get rid of it so that that drawer can be more useful. Put spoons in it. Put something. When we get rid of things, we allow God to put in things so we're more useful for the kingdom. Amen? Fine. Let's take a look. That leads us into our next point. Be thankful for your boss. Be thankful for your boss. Take a look. Colossians chapter 3, verse 15. Be thankful for your boss. Look what he says. And, verse 15, let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body, and be thankful. Be thankful for your boss. Let the peace of God rule in your hearts. Let me tell you what rule means. Rule means it's your boss. Let the peace of God direct what you do, when you do it, how you do it, why you do it, and where you do it. Let the peace of God rule, govern your life. When we do what God says, when we do when he says it, and we, when we do it how he says it, our lives will be at peace with God. Because we won't live in guilt and shame. We won't live under the conviction of of the Spirit, will live at peace. Jesus had peace. In John 5, 19 and 20, he says this. John 5, 19 and 20, living at peace with God, Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself. In other words, I don't do anything except what the Father does. For whatever he does, the Son also does in like manner. The Father loves the Son. Shows him all things that he himself does, and he will show him greater works than these that you may marvel. Look at verse 30. I can of myself do nothing. As I hear, I judge. And my judgment is righteous because I don't seek my own will, but the will of the Father who sent me. I'm at peace with God. I'm not wondering, am I like out of step with God? I don't feel guilt. I don't feel shame. I do whatever it is that God tells me to do. And it led Jesus to the cross. Led him to sacrifice. And personal sacrifice is usually where we begin to question the boss. When he asks us to forgive someone we don't want to or quit something that we want to keep, Jesus understands this. Because there on the cross, he asked a question. Why have you forsaken me? So Paul encourages the church and he says, listen, just be thankful about this. Jesus did. 
Bible says in Hebrews chapter 12 that we should look unto Jesus, the author and finish of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. And now he sits at the right hand of the throne of God. Finally, choose to walk in wisdom. Choose to walk, number four, in wisdom. Look at verse 16. Here's where we close. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatever you do in word and deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Choose to walk in wisdom. He says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Let it remain in you. Jesus said, you're my disciples indeed if you abide in my word and the truth shall set you free. You shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free in John chapter 8. Who doesn't want freedom from addictions? Who doesn't want freedom from strongholds? Who doesn't want freedom from sin? So he says, get the word of God in you. It'll set you free. But he says, when you get the word of God in you, get it in you richly. Don't just know John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave us all the Be a double dipper. Learn a new verse. Have a wealth of knowledge when it comes to the word so that whatever life situation you find yourself in, you're able to per- to put, uh, you're able to know the word and the word of God will remind you, consider others better than yourself. Don't get a hold ahead of that 80-year-old lady. And then he says, not only let it dwell in you richly, in all wisdom. The church, wisdom is knowledge applied, isn't it? It's knowledge applied correctly in any given life circumstance. And if you have a wealth of knowledge, then you'll be able, no matter what life brings your way, to apply the word of God to it. And he said, the wisest thing you can do is admonish one another. In other words, be willing for Pastor Chet to speak the truth in your life. Someone came up to me on Sunday, and they said this. That message was not for Sunday morning. Do you know how many people are divorced in your church? And I asked her, would you prefer that I water down the truth. And I know it was a hard message. But God's ideal for marriage was permanence. Man messed it up. So would you prefer that I skip over that scripture because it doesn't feel good? Church, listen. Do we want an itching ears doctrine? Truth sets us free. Which, what, now. But are you going to meet me out in the lobby every time I hit a chord? Every time. The word of God. I feel convicted. I'm not coming back to this church. Keep preaching. Thank you, Logos. I will. 
I have no intention to stop. But while I'm preaching, some of you will be like, oh, you're so funny. I'm not trying to be funny. I really believe a spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down, and I believe it's scriptural. Because he says, look carefully, admonish one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. So when you hear me communicating a hard truth, I want you to hear it like this. You shouldn't do that. That's going to take you straight to hell. If you don't accept Jesus as your Savior. La, la, la. Would you rather me get up here and do this? You're going to hell. All of you. Sometimes I like to watch televangelists. And I'll just turn the volume off. This is what they look like. (laughs) I want them to send this scripture. Jesus loves you. This I know. (laughs) You know why? Because if I give medicine with a spoonful of sugar, we all remember, to all beef patties, special sauce, pickles, onions on a, it's a good time for the great taste. You remember it when it comes as a song. You remember it. And so the heart of giving truth for your sanctification, the way that I do, is to fulfill Scripture. Amen? The gospel is not just for salvation. It's for every day thereafter. The good news is that we can change because our salvation leads to our sanctification. To God be the glory. To God be the glory. Father, thank you for your word. What a precious privilege it is. What a precious privilege it is that we can learn it and ambitiously purpose to live it. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with me? In Colossians 3.17, Paul gives the goal The wisest thing that you can do if you choose to walk in wisdom. He says this, whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. The goal of sanctification is to be conformed into the image of Jesus. Jesus let his Father guide his every action. We're being conformed into the image. 
And the wisest thing we can do is to fulfill this scripture. Whatever we do, do all in the name of the Lord. Just be like Jesus. Now, how many of you are 100% there? Amen. How many of you are like 10%? 10%. Wow. 3%? How many of you are like 3%? Let's go go down to the bottom of the barrel. How many of you are 3%ers? Like you've got 3% of Jesus in you. Go ahead, raise your hand. You've got 3% of Jesus. Well, us 60%ers can't believe you're there. What a pitiful attitude. At Calvary Chapel, South Bay, let the Spirit be the Spirit and you be the support. Thanks for listening, and we hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you have any questions or just want to check us out, make sure to visit us at ccsouthbay.org. God bless you guys, and we'll see you next week.